Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, everyone. It's Hugh Ballou back for another episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. You can find us on your computer or phone by going to the URL, the Nonprofit Exchange. That's T H E nonprofitexchange.org, O-R-G. That takes you to a landing page, tells you what it's about, and there's a place you can click and see all the episodes on our archives. There's 300 of them. There's the topic that you're interested in. You'll find today's topic, which is a fascinating topic, but above fascinating, it's a key topic for success. So our, my guest today is, is a dear friend and a supporter, um, and actually a board member of uh, Center Vision Leadership Foundation. And he has so much wisdom to share. We just had to choose one topic today. So Mark Smith, tell people a little bit about who you are and what's your passion for doing the work that you do? Thank you, Hugh. It's an honor to be here and welcome everybody to the Nonprofit Exchange. I'm Mark S.A. Smith. I'm a business growth strategist. I work with executives to help figure out the path to growing their organization, and it's usually by helping them get out of their own way. I do executive coaching, I do executive training, I write books, I conduct seminars, and I spend a lot of time thinking. And my passion is to share with executives how to approach problems from a strategic approach that allows them to find new solutions they had never considered before. And the reason why this is my passion is because it leverages me. I can only speak to a number of executives every year. Yet, when I teach them how to use these methodologies, they can teach others. And therefore, these ideas get multiplied across the planet and I have a much broader impact. In every case, my goal is to make you more effective, which means that you achieve the objective you are called to achieve. And today, I wanna to share with you one of the missing strategies from many executives toolbox, and that is how to effectively delegate tasks without losing control, without abdicating responsibility, and without having all that blow up in your face. <laughs> Uh, very well stated. Um, I've worked with leaders for 33 years in all kinds of organizations. And um, Mark, I don't find a, a big difference in the, the skill set in corporate executives or nonprofit leaders or clergy. I think there's some of the same myths that we tell ourselves, one of which is delegation is a weakness. We got to be able to do it ourselves. Well, we ought to be willing to do it ourselves. We have to know how to do it in order to delegate it. So why do we tell ourselves these myths that are really something that would empower us and not limit us? Well, there's probably three fundamental reasons why people limit themselves to delegate. Number one is they're cheap. Oh, I've got plenty of time. I can do this myself. If I bring somebody in, I've got to hire them. I got to pay them. And we're going to talk about that briefly today and, and why that is actually ridiculous because you're the most highly valued organization, a person in the organization, and everybody is going to be able to do it for less cost than you're doing it for. 
The second reason is because they've delegated things in the past and it blew up, they've been burned, and they believe that, you know, if you want something done right, you gotta do it yourself. Well, that's just absolutely not true. There's a lot of people out there that can do it better than you can. It's their profession. It's what they do for a living. And you're making a very poor copy of what they could do professionally. And so therefore, your arrogance and ego is getting in the way of actually doing a better job. And the third reason is because they just don't know how, quite how to do it. Delegation is an executive skill. And it's not like, just go do this. There are some things you have to do to make sure it's successful. And so today we're gonna to fix the last one of those things. You're gonna to have to fix the first two. You're gonna to have to get over being cheap. You're gonna to have to get over yourself that you're, that you're the one that can do it best. And what we can focus on is, okay, then how do we actually get this done? This is a topic near and dear to my heart. As you know, I champion transformational leadership as a style of leadership. And number one is to find things that you can let go of, that other people can do for you. And like you pointed out, probably better than you could do it. So there's a number of reasons. Those are three good reasons. I think there's also the reason that people want to be in control more so than they, yeah, and they lose control by that, that whole thing. So Mark, I have seen in year, the last many years, and it's been compounded with this current pandemic, uh, but it didn't start here. It's been going on for many years, the burnout, especially, and it's, it's huge with clergy, but a nonprofit, uh, the Meyer Foundation did some research and years ago before the pandemic, it was 45% of leaders were burned out and leaving the profession. 75% were looking at the door to exit. But that's the situation that, that we contribute to. Tell us how that works and how does delegation help us with the burnout piece? Well, so first of all, burnout happens when you have more decisions to make than you have cognitive capacity to make them. The truth is you can only make so many decisions a day. Hmm. At the end of the day, you're out of decision-making power. So Steve Jobs wore the same outfit every day because it was one less decision he had to make. He was driven to work because there are thousands of micro decisions that have come into play when you drive down the road. You ever wonder why you're so exhausted after eight hours of driving? because you've made hundreds of thousands of decisions. Most of them subconsciously doesn't matter. The exhaustion comes from decision fatigue. And so what we have to do is look for ways of reducing the number of decisions that we make and so that we can handle the complexity of the organization because we reduce the number of decisions that we make. So even if a task takes a moment, even if you can do it better any than anybody else, if you can delegate it to somebody else, that's one fewer set of decisions you need to make, which reduces your cognitive burnout. And the way to summarize this is executives have more on their to think list than on their to do list. And that's your real value to the organization. So we've got to take things off your plate. We've got to reduce the amount of cognitive load you have so that you reserve your decision-making power for those that have the highest impact and the most value. Let me throw one more at you. The, um, the, that's very helpful. Thank you. The leader is the visionary. Now, visionaries are rarely 
tactical in addition to being visionary. So we're doing something that's not in our skill set normally. What do you think of that? Well, I think what happens is that most leaders are tacticians that are attempting to be visionaries. They haven't been taught strategic tools. And so they're trying to they're trying to focus on the how to versus the what we're trying to accomplish and why. And that's one of the biggest challenges that we fake is that face is that transition from moving from a tactical thinker, which is all about getting it done, to the strategic thinker, which is all about the vision. And so if you're going to be a visionary, you have to have the tools to be a visionary. You can you have to leave behind the do-how because do-how is ephemeral. How we get things done has a lifetime a lifespan to it. Yet, as a vision maker, strategic skills are eternal. It's one of the most amazing things. People say, oh yeah, but I gotta know how to do it. Nope. You got to know how to strategize about it. And that strategic capacity is going to last you for your entire life. But knowing how to do a Facebook ad is going to change in the next six months. And therefore, you need to hire somebody that's kept abreast of all those changes. So that's right, because they're passionate about it. That's what they like to do. They're yeah. a professional. Right. And by the way, we're the leader. We're not the doer. Right. So let's this, this unpack that, that, that creating the vision. We want to live in the weeds. And um, as you know, I've studied the work of uh, Murray Bowen and his eight leadership concepts. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the things that jumps out at me when I work with leaders is the single most important thing that hurts us is called, he calls over-functioning. Yes. Do things other people could do for us. Therefore, there's a reciprocity of under-functioning. So an That's example right. with our, our, our boards, nonprofit leaders tend to hand out all the to-do lists and tell these very skilled people what they want them to do rather than defining the end result and let the yes. expert define the pathway. So go back to the, let's create the strategy. So that's key. If you're going to delegate, you've really got to give them what the end result looks like. That's so take, right. Take it from there and then then delve into those three things that you said were reasons people didn't delegate. All right. I'm, I'm going to actually, uh, I'm going to take a slightly different path. The thing I want to talk about before we dig, dig into how do we do that is put into context your value as an executive. If your organization does a million in revenue, you're responsible for $480 per hour of that revenue. 2,000 hours a year. So if you're doing anything that you can outsource for less than your time is worth, you must do so. Now, the way that we come up with that formula is a million dollars divided by eight hours a day times five days a week times 52. It's $480.70 an hour. So just round it up. If, for every million you're bringing to your organization, you're responsible for $500, $500 per hour of that revenues. That's, that is what you're responsible for, so you better use that, that responsibility well. When it comes to traditional time management, we've heard this forever. We talk about the four Ds. Dump, delay, delegate, and do. Classic time management. So dump is just get rid of the task. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. Delay, just defer the task and you know it just might go away. Or 
we'll delay it until we need to because we don't have enough information or not enough resources yet. Delegate, oh, there it is. Can you get somebody else to perform the task? And then do as a last resort. But the problem is that for many executives, delegation leads to abdication of accountability, and that's when you get burned. So here's the solution. Here's how we start. We began with a list of all of your tasks. Review your past months to-do list, make a list of everything that shows up on the list, and analyze to analyze what you can delegate. And don't skip anything. Even if the demand is for one minute, if it happens multiple times throughout a month, put it on your list. So that's where we start. A list of all your tasks. What is it that you gotta do? Then we take a look at those tasks. And the first thing we need to do is identify who is the scorekeeper for each of those tasks and how are they going to judge a good job. So the scorekeeper is the person or the organization that's placing the demand on you. So you, those are the people that you have to satisfy with the task outcome. And once you've identified the scorekeeper, then you can identify their satisfaction criteria. For example, taxes. All right, who's placing that demand on you? Who's the scorekeeper? The CPA and the IRS. How will they know when you've done a good job? Timely and accurate. All right, strategic initiatives. All right, who's placing that demand on you? Shareholders, boards of directors, even yourself. So what's the outcome they're looking for? Effective, contributes to the mission. Travel arrangements. All right, who's the scorekeeper for that? You are. <laughs> what's the score? How are we going to keep score? Is it comfortable? Is it convenient? Is it cost effective? Maybe shareholder or maybe your spouse's birthday present. So who's the scorekeeper for that? Well, you and your spouse. <laughs> and how are you going to know when you've done a good job when they say, well, how thoughtful. That's just what I wanted. So task, scorekeeper, how do we know that we've done a good job? Now from that, now we can, we can take the next step because we know what the outcome is and we know when the outcome is good. The reason why people lack confidence is because they don't know what good is. They haven't been shown what good is for their job. So they lack self-confidence because they don't know if they're going to do good or not. And when we delegate, we must tell the person who we're delegating to what good is. You see how important that is? Yes, yes. Now, we have a paradigm I've noticed in the nonprofit world. Um, if we have a really caring people who have a passion and even a specific gift for whatever they're doing, feeding people, housing people. However, they never really developed their capacity to lead. So we've, we've, we're social entrepreneurs. We got an idea and we're going with it. And so one of the pushbacks I hear when you're talking about this assessment, find out where you're spending your time, people have all kind of, they think reasons, I think it's excuses. Oh, I don't have time to do that. I'm too busy. How would you respond to that? The reason why you're too busy is because you have too much on your to-do list. So why don't we take a few things off your to-do list so you're not so busy? I tried that before, but you know, they just didn't perform up to, up to my expectations. Well, did they know what your expectations were? And no. <laughs> so 
we're, we're, we're rallying around your third point is people don't know how to delegate. That's I right. think that's probably, we don't have confidence because we babbled in it and it didn't work. So we pulled it back and yes. I wanted to do it myself because I want it done right. Well, how many things can you do? And by the way, if you've got a bunch of volunteers, you're robbing them of an opportunity to share their passion. Come on. Right on, right on, <laughs> right. You are stealing their ability to contribute. <sighs> Ouch. All right. Now that we know the task, the scorekeeper, and what good is, then we have to identify what skills are required to get to good. So let me, let me ask about good. Um, it could be um, subjective. So do we yes. ask any of our, our core team or our advisors, how do we really get centered on what good is? Um, that depends on the scorekeeper. Good is dependent upon the scorekeeper. Okay. So once we, that's why we have to identify the scorekeeper because they're the one that's going to decide whether it's good. Sometimes the scorekeeper is, keeper is internal. Sometimes the scorekeeper is external. Sometimes the scorekeeper is us. It doesn't really matter. We have to identify who the, who is the person who's going to judge goodness. There's usually somebody that we might call a critic that might bring these analytic. I think the scorekeeper, is that somebody with really good analytical skills? Not necessarily. It's the person who decides whether this is good, such as, for example, in the tax example, the scorekeeper is the CPA and the IRS. Okay. Specific skill set. All right. Specific, specific outcome declared as being good. Yes. Okay. Go, go for it. I was interrupted. All right. So, so what's the, well, the next thing is what skills are required now that we know what good is. So for each task, we want to identify the skill set that meets the satisfaction criteria. And there's fundamentally four levels of skills required. We have an unskilled person. So this is a task that could be accomplished by a low-wage person with just a simple checklist, you know, cleaning, filing, sorting, setting up a meeting room, ordering, catering. You should never, ever do these tasks. But we do. <laughs> don't you ever do that again. That's what a volunteer is for because you can give them a checklist and they'll follow the checklist and that's good. And then we have semi-skilled. So this is a task can be performed by somebody with some experience, such as travel arrangements, compiling reports, you know, creating some simple spreadsheets, doing some bookkeeping, writing correspondence. And while you're going to be tempted, you need to delegate this. Then the next one is skill. This is a task performed by a skilled professional. It's their career. Often they're licensed or they're degreed, such as tax preparation, financial analysis, marketing strategy, sales copy, operational analysis, IT administration. You have no business doing IT administration. You're just going to screw it up. You have no business doing these jobs because the people who are going to do them are much, much better at them than you are. And the cost of failure is high, but the cost of success is low. Say that again. When you try to do something that should be done by a skilled professional, the cost of failure is high. And when you hire them, the cost of success is low. Love it, love it, love it. All right, then the fourth class is strategic. Now this is a task that requires experience, business acumen, leadership, cognitive capacity, cultural context, the ability to foresee the future. Sounds like it's perfect for the leader. These are the items that you're going to keep on your to-do list. This includes negotiating strategy, development, purchase decisions, executive peer conversations. This is your prime job. 
and you need to reserve all of your cognitive capacity to do these things. They require a lot of cognitive capacity. And if you're chewing up your cognitive capacity because anything on those other three lists, you're shortchanging your organization. Mm-hmm. Just frickin' resign, would you? Make room for somebody who can do these things. <laughs> Get out of the way of your company. Yeah, we are we are both we're our biggest problem, aren't we? Sometimes. That's why I started the task. How do I help executives grow? I help them get them out of their own way. So let's take a for instance. Suppose I'm a nonprofit leader. Yep. I've got a bunch of eager people around me saying, What do I do? Now we're gonna plan a gala. A gala is a big annual event that helps people know what we do, brings them together in community, but we also can raise a lot of money there if we do it right. So let's let's say, how do we set up this? Um, it's an important event, and I need to have my fingers in every bit of it. What are some of the things we do wrong, and what should we do, be doing in setting up a process for that? Isn't it interesting that a gala is only done by nonprofits? Mm-hmm. Nobody else calls them galas. So I think it means get a lot of lucre, ASAP. That's what gala stands for. <laughs> But the people All right. that, they come with their checkbooks, so it's sort of an experience. They do. They come with their checkbooks. They know a gala is a chance where they're going to get you know, gleefully shaken down, and they agree to that. All right, so galas. Who decides what good is for galas? I guess the board should decide because they're the ones responsible. Nope. The board isn't writing any freaking checks. <laughs> but the board is responsible for the money. All right, but who's going to be giving them that money? The people, well, the people they influence. All right, so those are the scorekeepers. Those are the people that decide what good looks like. Good should be decided by the people you want to have show up. Everything else is a freaking illusion of your imagination. Based on some experience you've had in the past, whether it's good or not. So why don't you ask your people who write you the biggest checks, what they'd like to have, what they would like the gala to be like. Hmm. What a radical idea! Radical is good. We're, you know, we we've had what we call normal, which was really fat and sassy and not really high functioning. We went in the pandemic. People think we're going to a new normal. No, we're in a new radical. So this is, fits right into my thinking. So right on, friend. New radical. That's what we got to do. All right. Now that you know what your biggest check writers love to experience at a gala that make them feel like writing these checks is absolutely in alignment with their purpose in life, then we can start to design what that's going to look like and then tell people what good looks like for each of the chunks. What does good look like for the food? What does good look like for the decorations? What does good look like for the invitations? What does good look like for the entertainment? What does good look like for the um, for the uh, the accolades that are and awards that are presented? What does good look like for every one of those pieces that is going to create that gala that's going to make them write a, open their checkbook and write a check for what they wrote last year plus 20%? Yes. Yes. All right, let's stop imagining what our people want and start asking what they want and then figuring out what good means for each of those pieces. Then you can assign that to professionals who know what good looks like. And we stay out of their way. But how do we let's go back to what you said at the beginning? We're afraid of losing control. So how do we how do we maintain control and not get in the way? 
that you maintain by maintain control by setting up. Uh, this actually is going beyond what I have in mind, but that's okay. What well, we maintain control by realizing that control is based on the outcome that we desire desire to achieve, and so we create create some checkpoints and milestones to make sure we are on the path to good. What does that look like? What you know will well, show me the one sheet that describes what you're going to do for food. Great, that's a checkpoint. Describe for me how we know that we're going to choose a vendor that's going to be able to deliver this to the thousand people that we have show up and everything is warm and tasty. It's because that's what they do every day of the year as banquet facilities. Okay. It's what they do as caterers. All right, you know, you don't really want a gala catered by volunteers unless you're doing a gala in the church basement. So would one of those experts be uh, an event manager that knows how to plan and carry off events? Gosh, wouldn't that be amazing? Because you know, they have deep experience in making sure that events are glorious. They know everybody to talk to, they know all the tricks, they know all the traps, they know all the failure points, and they make sure it doesn't work. They're the one that takes on the craziness. And you know what? You're going to make so much money more that you're going to be able to pay for that meeting planner easily, and they are a legitimate expense. Because a good meeting planner is going to make sure your contracts don't screw you. Yeah. And that in itself is worth their fee. And if you've ever done work, if you've ever done a contract with a hotel, with banquet facilities, you've been screwed. Yeah, yeah. It's one way. And a meeting planner is going to go, no, 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 we're not doing that. No, no, no. They're going to go, okay, okay. So you're going to save yourself the meeting planner's fee just in keeping yourself from being taken by the banquet facilities. No, 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 they're well-meaning, blah, 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 but there's still issues there. So let's go back to your three points. You started this off. There's three reasons people don't delegate. Would you highlight those again? And then what have we not covered? All right. So the first reason why they don't delegate is because they're cheap. They don't want to pay for help. Second reason is because they lose control. They've gotten, you know, they they feel like, you know, if, if it's going to be done right, you know, I got to do it myself. And the third reason is... Um, that, you know, I, I <laughs> uh, let me see. What was the third reason, Hugh? <laughs> they don't know how to delegate. You're just testing. There it is. They don't know how to delegate. <laughs> Thank you for bailing me out of that momentary loss of reason. You're just testing my cognitive abilities. All right. So shall we quickly run through how you delegate this stuff? Absolutely. All right. So, you know, the first, your new, new mantra is eliminate, simplify, automate, outsource, then insource. Eliminate, can you get rid of this? Can we simplify this so, so that we can push it down to a non-skilled person if possible? Can we automate this? Is this something that we can turn into a, a, you know, a software or something like that? Can we outsource this? Can we hire somebody? And then as last resort, we insource. And insourcing is the most expensive, and the reason why is because you've got to hire the person, you've got to train them, you've got to feed them, you've got all those reasons. So... So the next step is our tasks that we've identified we're going to outsource or we're going to delegate. We turn them into a procedure with step-by-step -step instructions. 
So uh, every task has a start trigger, a procedure, the steps we go through, inputs, what's required to get the job done, outputs, what is created by the task, a stop trigger, which means we're done, and then quality control, which means this is goodness. So there may be a timeline and milestones for a complete task that you let you manage it. So we want to build in some milestone triggers to alert you when a task needs to be partially completed. And that's how we keep from losing control of something like a gala. Yes. Yeah. So the secret to consistency is document what you do and do what you document. And the fastest way to do this, you might be thinking, oh, gosh, you know, I don't want to write a procedure. Okay, the fastest way to do this is turn on an audio recorder, could be your phone, and tell the story about how you execute the task. Include all the information about acceptable levels of performance. So, for example, you don't want a graphic design effort on the internal report that gets a file, but you want a customer-facing document to conform to your branding standards. All right? So what's an adequate level of performance? You need to have that in there. Then transcribe the audio recording. Read the transcription to the delegate you want to have perform the task and watch them execute the task. And by doing that, you'll figure out if you've missed any steps. So you're going to be looking for unclear instructions, missing steps, quality control metrics, and then you can update your task procedure for a document. And that way you know that whoever you delegate to can actually do the job. Great. Great, that introspective piece of make sure you didn't leave out something because sometimes we're so close to it, we have blind spots and we don't know what we've left out. That's right, because we do it just automatically and we don't even think about it as a part of it. But that process right there, tell a story about how you do it, document, just transcribe it, and then read it to somebody who you're going to have do the job. Yes, it's going to take a little training, but once you have them be able to step through it completely, then you know they're going to be able to do the task because the process is clear. All right, so then the next step is determine the task triggers. So what's going to start a task, what's going to stop a task? And so you're going to use these triggers to automatically cause the task to get done. So for example, if the task is routine, such as a Monday report, then or on demand, such as you're going out of town to a meeting, those are the types of triggers that you would look at. So then we build a special calendar just for delegation. Hmm. So we're going to build an online calendar, like Google Calendar or whatever you want, that hosts all the stop triggers and all the milestone triggers. Hmm. This keeps your calendar clear, lets you stay on top of all the delegated tasks. So when you want to trigger a delegated task, you just schedule that on your delegated calendar. And when you want it to be complete, that triggers the assignment via email to the delegate. And when they agree to the appointment, they've confirmed they've accepted the task with delivery on that date. Hmm. Wow. How cool is that? This is so helpful, Mark. Thank you. Then you can take a look at your calendar and figure out what's coming up. And if you need to check in, how are you coming against that deadline? What do you need? What's missing? Now, routine tasks, such as reports, get scheduled as recurring events. And then part of your daily routine becomes checking the delegate calendar to monitor progress and ensure that all those tasks get completed on, on time. So. So the answer of the time, you have to delegate enough stuff to be able to follow up on it. Yes, of course. But that's the reason why we delegate via calendar. Because mm -hmm. all tasks have a deadline. And the calendar is the way for us to get to that deadline. Whoa. For those of you that are that are hyperventilating because there's so much data and you can't take all the notes, 
do not fear. Go to thenonprofitexchange.org, find this podcast, and um, you will find a transcription with all of these wonderful talking points there. So Mark, what else do you want to share before, you know, we typically have this amount of time, but we're in bonus territory. This is- <laughs> all right. Well, I, I want to add one more thing, and that is, you know, this may not smoothly. So we have to figure. So with this, we may we have we may have to you know tr- troubleshoot this. So we, we have to give a lot of feedback during the initial delegation phase, until the pet task gets performed smoothly on on time. So then we've got to provide regular leadership feedback with appreciation, right? Thank you for doing this task. You did it perfectly. I sure appreciate you. Now, if the if the work is unacceptable, we have to go back to the procedure document to determine if we had a flawed procedure, which is, I don't know how to do this. Or if the situation came up where they can't do it, they don't have the the skills or they don't have the physical resources. Or if they've lost motivation, they don't care anymore. So we have to test against those three reasons. Those are the three reasons why why a delegate is going to fail something you delegated to them. So this lets you very quickly troubleshoot the root cause and fix the problem. And with that, now you have a complete system. We want to make sure that we're clear on what we want because we might be setting up the problem. And that, that's that's a blind spot is we aren't aware that we set up the problem and we blame other people for the situation we created. That's right. We have to stay out of that if you're going to successfully delegate. Now, you can see that this, this provides a, a complete process, front to end, front to back, on how to do delegation. And most delegation procedures miss many of these steps that I've shared with you. It's the reason why they fail. But, you know, as, a, as an engineer, I think like a process, what's going to create a process that's going to give us a perfect output, output every time. And what I just described to you is how you can get there. And so you can retain control. And you can get it done for less than you can do it. And you won't get burned delegating tasks. And if this is not your skill set as the nonprofit executive, maybe you need an admin person who can work along beside you that has the uh, the skill set to define all these pieces. And you know, Mark, it's 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 a if we're burned out and we're underwater and we got more to do, there's this time we need to get ourselves out of that bucket. So when we're we're facing this burnout and we haven't delegated enough stuff. How do we start getting out of that pit? Well, all right. So you have to take something off your plate. To get get rid of burnout, you have to take things off your plate. There is no other solution. Things must come off your plate. So what we're going to do is go back to the original four Ds. Dump. What can I take off my plate that should not be on my plate whatsoever? What can we get rid of? What can we eliminate? Take that off the plate. Not ever going to come back on my plate. Delay. What do I have on my plate right now that I don't have to pay attention to for another three months? I can kick the can down the road. Maybe I can renegotiate a deadline. All right, so within those two things, I can take things off my plate and I can get some breathing room. And now I may have enough breathing room to actually figure out how to delegate what else is on my plate. Those first two are very hard when we think, oh, we've got to do this. Well, I think you need somebody to help you figure out why you don't have to do it. Uh, sure. Yeah, why? Tell me why you have to do this report. Well, we've always done it. Well, and that makes it sacred. So, Mark, this is 
very, very important data and it's stuff we could take and use. Start now. Yes. It's great to get this list. And I remind people that you'll find the transcript on this interview page on the nonprofitexchange.org. Go to the archives and look for this one and you'll see a full transcript of everything Mark talked about today. So you can make your own your own list from this that you can then use to implement all of these things. So what if we, so I want to talk about real quick before we end up, the Center Vision has a private community for nonprofit leaders and clergy. And it's where it's peer-to-peer support. It's learning from the material we have from people like Mark and others and the curriculum I've created in 33 years of doing this kind of work. If you want to apply for membership of community, you go to nonprofitcommunity.org. It's easy, nonprofitcommunity.org. Look at what it's about. Put your name on the list and we'll be opening the community pretty soon. And then you can be in this energy field with other passionate nonprofit leaders. So is there something we haven't covered or something you want to end by giving people a tip about today? Actually, I just want to tell people, you know, they might be thinking, why the heck are you in your truck? Why are you delivering this from your truck? Well, the, the reason why is because I'm a nomad. I live in the wilderness and where I am currently camped, there is no cell service. And so I drive 25 minutes to come to a town where I can get enough bars for us to have this conversation. So when I'm in in nomad territory where there's no cell service, my truck becomes my office. And as you can see, you know, that's, I've got it all arranged so that I can do all these things and it actually works great. And then what that means is I have digital detox every day. I have maybe three hours of connectivity and the rest of the time, it's just thinking, just thinking time. And perhaps one of the things you need to do to reduce your burnout is to have connectivity hours where after say five o'clock, you're just not available anymore. And until nine o'clock in the morning, you're just not available anymore so that you have enough time to recover. So you have enough time to think, you have enough time to contemplate, you have enough time to connect to your creator instead of being pulled every direction possible, which is going to contribute to your brain fry. Wise words indeed. Give yourself a break, give yourself a recess, give yourself time to play, time to think. What a novel concept, Marcus, it's just powerful. (laughs) <laughs> that was worth oh. doing today that was worth <laughs> so mark sa smith where can people find you oh you know the best way to find me is on linkedin marks on linkedin.com m-a-r-k-s on linkedin.com um just tell me you, you saw me on the nonprofit exchange i'll be glad to uh, connect with you if you have a blood spurting problem mark i need help and i need it now text me 719-440-0439. That's 719-440-0439. Text me. Don't leave a voicemail message. That makes me work. And I will respond to you just as soon as I can. We can set up a conversation to see how I might be able to help you with your blood spurting problem. That is a generous offer. Mark S.A. Smith, you'll find one and only among all the Smiths in the world. Uh, <laughs> brings a great value to me and to leaders all over the world. So Mark, thank you so much for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. 
Thank you for listening to The Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.